Let's begin our prayer with some advice from St. Josemaria, precisely about prayer and what, if we like, our goal should be in our time of prayer. When you pray, my child, and I'm not referring to that continuous prayer, that spirit of contemplation in the presence of God that you have throughout your day, but rather the time that you dedicate exclusively to speaking with God, when you recollect yourself from all exterior distractions, when you begin this time of meditation, frequently you will represent the gospel scene or the mystery that you desire to contemplate. And then you will apply your understanding and you will seek a dialogue filled with affections of love and of sorrow, of thanksgiving and of desires to improve. By this path, you should arrive at a prayer of quiet in which it is the Lord who speaks. And you must listen to what God tells you. There's so much that's helpful in what he suggests to us, but at the beginning of our prayer now, what I would like to highlight and call our attention to is how our effort in prayer the effort to be recollected, to enter not only into an exterior silence, but an interior one. An interior one because I am tethering myself to the present moment, not to the future that I'm dreading, not to the future that I'm idealizing or the past that I'm regretting, but to now. And the reason I tether myself to now is because that's where God is. That's where I can meet him. I will meet phantoms and imaginings if I'm fretting about the future. And I will be talking to myself if I worry about the past. Our <clears throat> focus and recollection in prayer is to bring us where God is and God is here, now. And that requires effort, but a practical effort that is the consequence of a determination. Lord, I want to know you, I want to love you, and I'm willing to practice, to work at it. I'm willing to be humble enough to acknowledge how weak I am, how that little red circle with a number in it the alert on my phone can shatter my desire to pray because it can send me down a distraction and then another thing. How my other thoughts can run and it feels sometimes like I'm hurting cats when I'm trying to direct my attention towards you. But I want to try and I make that effort. But the purpose of that effort is to arrive at quiet. Prayer is not about productivity. Prayer is not about getting us to achieve more, to wring the last drop 
of work out of us to give us that energy boost that we feel that we need to get through the day and get things done. We need to be practical in the way that we pray to help us not get distracted. But Lord, we ask you now, fill us with the desire to be in quiet with you. That our thinking, that our contemplation, guided by the Holy Spirit, who is the protagonist in prayer, guided by the Holy Spirit, he brings us to this quiet that is actually the peace of God. Shalom Yahweh. This absolute eternal presence and control that is at the heart of being itself and that existed before the creation of the world. That peace is the source of life that we find in Jesus and we see refracted through the lives of all the saints throughout history. It is the wellspring for our own personal prayer and it should be the source of our life as apostles in our day-to-day activities and all of the other things that we do. So let's practice. Let's present before ourselves the gospel, the mystery that we wish to contemplate so that filled with a dialogue that is affectionate because it's sincere, Lord, expressing to you our desires to love, our, our sorrow at our lack of generosity, how it pains me, the importance that I give to things that just aren't that important. And I want to make that effort, Lord, so that you can bring me to silence. And then it's just my heart my will, being moved by your grace and being guided by the Holy Spirit so that I can be united to you. And that's the purpose. Sometimes it's good for us to walk away from our prayer with a goal that we want to work towards, clarity that comes from the light of grace to how to improve in a certain way of action. But even then, the greatest fruit of prayer is union, union that comes about in this gift of quiet. Something that is very conducive to this quiet is a prayer characterized by adoration, awe before the reality and the power of God, the God who we find in Jesus' face. And the prologue of John's Gospel is a very helpful place to turn our attention, to foster such an adoration, such an awe. The rhythm of the words themselves inspire it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. This consideration of 
God's peace and silence before creation. And all that has ever existed or will exist exists in him and for Jesus. Perhaps when we feel shattered and distracted and pulled in different directions by the busyness and the hecticness of life, when we feel that we are like spilt water over so many different activities, our attention pulled this way and that, how we long for this sort of peace. And this peace is not just the peace of being left alone, it is the peace of being whole, of not being divided, fully present, fully possessed. That is the peace. And contemplating Jesus as the Word, present with God, before all of creation, can be a helpful inspiration, Lord, as we hope it is right now, to worship, to adore. It's a very petty comparison, maybe. But sometimes I think about this experience of, you know, when or if you wake up really early in the morning and you go out, have to go somewhere, and the city is asleep. The day has not yet begun. It hasn't been created yet. And there's a stillness and a freshness. You yourself, your mind isn't racing yet because the day hasn't even started. There's a calmness. And perhaps it's a very daily (laughs) glimpse at this presence of God before creation. And Lord, this is where we want to encounter you. This is, this is what we want to understand when we contemplate you in the Gospels, when you're um, healing the blind, when you're raising the dead son of the widow outside of Naim, when you're preaching, when you're talking to the apostles, when you are rejoicing and indeed when you are angry and upset with the Pharisees because of their hardness of heart. This is all an expression of this God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Lord, the power of your presence. You are not in a struggle against evil and opposition. No matter the headlines, no matter our experience, no matter the fact that in my life, weakness and sinfulness does sometimes seem intractable. Sometimes, Lord, it seems to me that you are losing. All the social science, at least here in Europe, seems to say that you are. And you're losing bad and you're losing fast. But the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not and does not overcome it. Because darkness can't, you see? That's the power of this image. It is metaphysically impossible for darkness to overcome the light. And then St. John speaks to us of John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is perhaps someone that we overlook. And I think maybe we, find, we overlook him because we find his way of life and his example not all that inspiring. I don't know. Maybe it's the camel hair shirts and the bit about eating locusts. I don't think it inspires a lot of desire for imitation. We don't get many goals out of thinking about John the Baptist's life. But what John the Evangelist highlights in his prologue is John's vocation. And there is something that we can discover and learn from greatly. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. What if I aspired to be that with a more sincere heart? A witness to the light reflected in the face of Christ. To be more deeply convinced about what St. John tells us, that this light which enlightens everyone, not just the people who are already Catholic, not just my friends and colleagues who are kind of into that sort of thing, but even the most incalcitrant hater of the church, the light is for him or for her. It is a light that enlightens everyone, and that is what I want to testify to. And I testify to it not because I stand on the street corner and preach, but I testify to it with my smile, with my competence at work, my desire to serve even though I'm tired and a bit annoyed with the other things that have been going on in the day. I witness to that light because I'm not afraid to let people know what makes me tick. The real source of my ideals and purpose in life. That I don't go through my day with three or four different masks that I put on depending on the person or the company that I keep. But I am me. Sent into this world by God to be a witness and to be blessed because of that vocation, to witness to the light that is Christ. And then John the Evangelist goes on to speak about this light. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. More literally, the translation of what John says when he came to what was his own is he came to his house, his home. The incarnation of Jesus is not the landing of some alien being on the world. It's not the intrusion of someone who's somehow out of place. St. John makes it very clear that Christ came to his own where he belonged. Because it was created in him and through him, it was thought about because of him. He came to his own and he gets ignored. 
When you and I are called to be witnesses of Christ, when we are called to be apostles too often, we're concerned about ourselves. How I get reacted to. Do people understand me? Why am I not appreciated? I sure hope they don't think I'm strange. Maybe they think I'm extremist. And round and round our thoughts go, urged and spurred on by our fears and our insecurities and inferiority complexes that come from murky places in the back of our mind and our heart. And it's also unnecessary. It's also unnecessary as long as we are willing to step forward into the light, as we're trying to do now in our prayer. A prayer where we are opening ourselves to the peace and the quiet of God. A peace and a quiet that dispels and casts out, it drives away that fear. Lord, you tell us in scripture that perfect love drives out all fear. Drive out the fear of worrying about how we appear before others. Help us to not be slaves to other people's eyes, to their estimations, to their assessments of who I am, because it so does not matter. We will never be proud of having pivoted and changed what we thought we should be doing because we were afraid of what someone else would think. Action like that hollows us out. It saps our personality and takes away our freedom. But being a witness to the light in a very self-forgetful way That is precisely what builds our personality, makes us who we are. As John continues in his gospel, and here we just don't have the time to go through all of it, there's a moment where John the Baptist is speaking with his first disciples, and he's being asked by some of the people who are coming to listen to him, and his extravagant and shocking witness to the holiness of God, precisely with that camel hair shirt and the the wild honey and the locust and living out in the wilderness. Precisely, people are struck by how that contrasts with their normal way of living. And they come and they ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we should be waiting for and looking for? And then John answers with these words that are timeless. He tells them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. What's timeless about these words, and we think about our own life, but the life of the people that we work with, that you study with, your family, the people that you meet. Among you stands one whom you do not know, And Lord, in our prayer, we want to add to that phrase, yet. Among you stands one whom you do not know yet. He's there with them. He's at their side. 
He's speaking to them. He's calling them. He's, he's knocking at the door of their heart. Our efforts to talk to them, our efforts to give light to their minds and encouragement to their hearts, all of that is simply an effort to discover the one whom they do not know yet. Do I go about my day with that kind of confidence? Or do I feel a bit besieged? Like a stranger in, in a foreign place. Among you is one whom you do not know. And in those words as well, I too feel challenged. Because Lord, so many times I walk past you. I look over your shoulder. I prefer to give dramatic importance to things that actually don't matter so much. And the reality of you passing by in my life, being present and of calling me, I, I look past it. I don't notice. And I miss the light. But then John the Baptist, in this desire precisely to fulfill his vocation, his mission to be a witness to the light, turns to his disciples, the people who are following him. And again, John the Baptist shows us the generosity of being an apostle. And what I mean by the generosity, John the Baptist makes it very clear, it's not about me. It's not about me. He turns them to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Follow him. Turn to him. It's about him. And as Jesus was walking by, he says, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? Again, a timeless question. What are you seeking? What do you desire? Jesus is asking you that question. He's asking me. Why do I get out of bed in the morning? What makes you tick? Why do you do what you do? And the apostles, and I think in this wonderfully realistic account of this exchange, when Jesus asks them that profound question, a question that rearranges your life, their response is to say, teacher, where are you staying? They respond to a question with a question. They don't know how to answer yet. But they want to be with him. They want to become familiar. They want to keep seeking. They aren't sure how to react or how to understand or the proper way forward. But they somehow already know, because John the Baptist has pointed them in that direction, that it's with Jesus. And Jesus says to them, come and see. Come and see. Come and spend time with me. Coming to faith, coming to hope and love takes time. It's a process. It's not this lightning bolt moment where everything comes together. Maybe for some people, occasionally, that sort of miracle happens. But in the main, it takes place the way it did for John and for Andrew. 
they asked Jesus where he was and they came and they stayed with him and they spent the day and they had a conversation and they were fascinated and they were inspired and they were moved by the Holy Spirit without realizing what was happening. And then John tells us and there unfolds kind of like a chain reaction to coming and seeing who Jesus was. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. There's a spontaneity, a simplicity, a a lack of overthinking and self-reflection in this action of Andrew. Having come and seen who Jesus was, having been inspired and feeling himself called, he just goes and looks for his brother. He goes to share it. Lord, help us to have that sort of simplicity. The simplicity that comes from a genuine experience of you, of coming and of seeing you in our prayer, in our experience of you in the sacraments, in our reflection, in our understanding of what the truth of your life means, not only for ourselves, but for others. The complication, the self-doubt, that fear of becoming or being seen as judgmental or preachy. Andrew didn't want to be preachy or judgmental either. It's not like he was kind of okay with that. He just didn't care. It just simply didn't cross his mind. He just met Jesus and he wanted his brother to meet what he met. And he went and he spoke to him. The next day, St. John tells us, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee their hometown. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Again, that same spontaneity, that same naturalness, that simple and sincere desire to share the joy that he's discovered. And what does he meet? What is the response of Nathaniel? We remember very well. Kind of our first gospel account of cynicism <laughs> towards Jesus. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The resistance that people feel to the message of Jesus, their suspicion about the church, all the historical arguments, all the things, fine, they've changed and they do morph as the years go by, but Nathaniel was saying a very similar thing. I don't think being prejudiced against Nazareth is any longer an obstacle in people coming to Christ. It's other things. But it's the same spirit. And it needs to be responded to in the same way that Philip does. Because Philip says what Jesus had said to him, come and see. That's how he brings Nathaniel on. I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm not gonna try to beat you in some sort of debate. Come and see. 
Lord, help us to say, come and see to many people. Yes, with, with those words even, but most importantly, with our lives, with our example, with our work well done, with the way that we react to the difficulties and challenges that life presents us with, not with complaining and victimhood, but with optimism and hope and a spirit of sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, a willingness to make of our lives a gift because we understand that life to be a gift and a mission that God has granted to us. And precisely because we want our lives to have the meaning that God intended for it before creation, before the beginning of time, we want to practice forgetting ourselves as we become witnesses to the light, a light that we rediscover best we can each day as we set aside time to pray, to re-encounter the person who is the goal and the center of our lives. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father-in-Law, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.